craft folk and welcome to after party 25 Ooh. holy crap <laughs> that was the signal that was of the really well timed suddenly yeah, turning so. on it was really well timed the one with episode 23 20 no ah. <laughs> <laughs> wow welcome, welcome back to the sanctum of the erudite eye <laughs> oh, speaking of nethus yep we're gonna be doing after parties recapturing our own thing. <laughs> An after party for the after parties. Yes. Yes. 72, Go Hollis. Uh, All the ones with Hollis's. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I guess to do go through a quick recap and everything, episode 73 was the the party leaving Wati. For the first time in this adventure path, mm-hmm. the party leaving the city of Wati. It was sad. Walter came with us. Who? <laughs> For Sudi, he's never been outside the city. He's like, this why is, is that weird. sad? That's weird. He left his girlfriend, his girlfriend behind. His friend. Yo. Yeah, that was his yeah. choice, and that he didn't bother choice. talking to her about it. Yeah, you he just kind of did. He just did it off, off, off. He's very private. I want to say off screen, but we don't have screens. Off air, <laughs> he talked to her. He had we sure he did. Yeah. He did. Yeah. So seventy three was the party leaving Wati. We met Hollis. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very eventful episode. You saw the return of uh, your old friend Amenetris. Yep, and Basra. And Basra. Yeah. And, and the meeting Basra. Yeah. Yeah. Who you'd... Uh, we knew her uh, by name. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of you made the connection uh, later on once you'd arrived in Tefu and heard a little bit more about the arrival of the fan bearer at the right hand of the pharaoh, Her Excellency Momonofra, that it also tied back into way back in episode 49 when you first heard of Momonofra in connection to Basra returning back to Tefu to coordinate with her family. You mean Wati? Or Wati, leaving Tefu and returning back to Wati to coordinate with her family pertaining towards the arrival of Momonofra. Mm-hmm. That was the introduction episode for Hollis. And Sugar. Yes. And Sugar. Yes, the real star, Sugar, yep. the Silky Chicken. <laughs> so yeah, what did, uh, what did all of you think of, what were, what were all of your first impressions of Hollis? So, from the perspective of, like, that is a character that, like, by the description does not match what she actually is. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was, like, it was funny because I, I was looking at her going, she's got a gun. That seems like a gunslinger. But Sudi knows nothing about firearms. So, it's like, I have no idea what you are. That means you must be a wizard because I don't know anything about wizards. So Wizard. You know, so he, he got it right by sheer dumb luck. But I, I enjoyed the introduction, and I enjoy the uh, I enjoy sugar. <laughs> I love her so much. It's it's kind of weird though. It's kind it's always kind of like there's like an adjustment period with new characters of well, yeah. like fitting them in the yeah. back into everything. How are they gonna like mesh with the rest of the party? Because the the first episode, it you know, it was a little bit awkward because it's like, oh, Tetmanib's like. Here's this new person, and we're all just like, "What's your angle, Tetman? And the person's like, "Here's my dead friend. Oh, y'all killed her. Let me put her in the river." Yeah, that was also weird. Onuris isn't sure what to think. It's like, okay, Tetman gives this foreigner a pass, so I guess we'll see how it goes. Yeah, that's just your uh, xenophobia. Yeah, there you go, xenophobia showing. (laughs) It's all mott. It was also kind of a weird episode because, like. like a travel episode and like yeah. we've never had to travel nope. really beyond like you nope. go to the necropolis and do stuff so it was it was very different than normal it's true kind of had like a weird yeah. feeling because it was different you got introduced to the city of Tefu which I think think has a distinct different feel from the city of Wati yeah I don't like it it feels, it feels crowded. crowded I was, I was going to say the description of it I'm just like imagining 
crowded markets and like cramped quarters and everything. And I'm just like Sudi being from like a relatively small town, just being like, there's gotta be pickpockets everywhere. Is like, he's like nouveau riche. There you go, that's the phrase I was trying to find. Very aware that he actually now has actual money and thus has something to be pickpocketed. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, the Medina in Morocco that Jess and I got to visit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very hustle bustle and everybody is, you know, shouting their wares and trying to haggle with you and God, I hate haggling, but <laughs> we did good when we went, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah, the the description, particularly the part of the city that you arrive in, is very much that. It's interesting because it is a city that is based around commerce and trade, but it's around commerce and trade of information, basically, the access to these this exclusive library, to yeah. all this exclusive information, uh, as well as the construction and trade of of tomes and papyrus. The fact that it is three times larger than Wati just makes it a big step forward. And for Sudi, there has to be an element of it where Citra doesn't seem to be that bothered by this because she comes from On, which is even larger than Tefu. Yeah. How do you think she was able to get away with all her tomb stealing? <laughs> yeah, it, it's also one of those things of like, it's it's very different when the focus of the, the industrial output is different because like, you know, obviously Wati focuses on burial rites and everything and around goods, that yeah. and the grave goods. And then to go to a place where they focus more on like knowledge and they focus more on like preservation of knowledge. It's like a very different feel just in that one, what your major export is. Well, I think for a different group, this place wouldn't feel as dangerous. Yeah, that's true. Because it's also like we're kind of playing a group that's <laughs> hyper paranoid, I think would be the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're in a city run by a church that you're worried about. Yeah, Yeah, if we were all playing, like, Nethian connected people, it wouldn't be so weird. Well, and and the church of Nethys here is real weird. Yeah, it's not this specific branch of Nethys is weird, because Hollis follows Nethys. Yeah, I guess that's true. And and it it is kind of interesting that it was set up as, even if you are, like, maybe associated with Nethys from, like, Sothis or somewhere else, but these Nethians are different and thus you can kind of use them as enemies even if you are a part of the church which is kind of interesting because rick told pulled me aside and told me hey this is what you know about these nethians they're real weird people just disappear and then when you ask about them okay because i wondered about that i didn't say anything during the episode yeah but you were saying all that stuff and i was kind of like looking over at rick like yeah no he told me he (laughs) told me because i was sitting there and i was like Huh. Well, we're talking about the Nethians, so. Yeah. But yeah, the Nethians here are apparently super creepy and, and they, like, weird. disappear people to go and on secret missions. And stuff disappears, or, yeah. or, and they just, like, get up in the middle of the night to have a random meeting, and you're definitely not invited. What yeah. was her name in Avatar when they're in Bossing Say? There is uh, no, uh, there is no war in Bossing Say. J- yeah. You, the, the, the whoever is invited you to Joe? Lake Lao Guy. Yeah. Do you remember her name? Yeah. But it was the creepy lady who was like was showing them around the city, and she had the weird smile. Oh, and yes. then like yes. when things weren't working out, like she got taken away, and they brought in somebody new, but she had the same name, and they were like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, basically cause, that. Because yeah. yeah, all it is is it's like you know the king invites you to Lake Lao Guy, and then like yeah. you disappear. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so the Nessie, the Nessians. Oh my God, what am I saying? Yeah. Nessian warhounds. Yes, the yes. Nessians here are apparently real weird. Yeah, mm. yep. uh, and you also got a chance to meet with uh, with Neath. Oh yes, yeah, he just kind of popped up and uh, yeah, and I always uh, with those characters, they I always wonder. Fun. I'm they like, is that is that part of the adventure? Is he something ha- like have a part to play, or is it just like fill that out? To, Who like, knows? That's the part that I like is that I can never tell with Rick. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, I appreciate is that, that guy secretly? Gonna be like informing on us. Is that why they Kelru suddenly knew? 
about us? Was it Suddenly, no. He just happened to see us. I don't know. It was weird, man. <laughs> the party finally got an in-room. You all rested up. Got a Hollis kind of up to speed. She doesn't yeah. know every yeah. detail, but I she knows gonna most say, of we, it. I was going to say, we give you the, like, 3,000-foot view. You recap for Hollis and also for our audience going into book three, a little bit of what's happened in the previous 70 at that point it was 72 previous episodes we had the highlights like the Uh, highlight reel at best the following episode you guys got to hang out a little bit we got to to meet Citra's parents yeah and Falto Uh, Falto got to meet meet the parents parents. yeah yeah. Uh, and Hollis made uh, Onyris play a board game yeah he was so happy about that (laughs) no one believes that just imagining him (laughs) sighing after every move but yeah, I think the uh, the Citro parent meeting thing has been something kind of anticipated since Tepu was first mentioned as being your next destination. And she has nice parents. Yeah. I know. It's that whole thing where it's like, you have nice parents. What are you doing adventuring? <laughs> I'm sorry. It just reminds me of the, there's a, I'll shout out to it later. I'll put a comment or something below. There's a comic strip that I've been following that does a whole bunch of D&D and Pathfinder themed comics, basically tabletop stuff. And they're just one panel of comics, but one of them is just, it's this happy family, like this you know, mother and father in this other room working. And then uh, you can see around the door is this son looking kind of upset, but holding an ax. And then at the top, it said, everyone knows all great heroes are orphans. So at a young age, you must choose between family and work. Oh, oh, that's awful. That's awful. Oh, my God. That's awful. I mean, on yours anyway. isn't an orphan. Both of his parents are still alive, even Your though we never interacted with Your parents are not nice this. people, no. though. So we understand he why never you left home. Interacted. never met on yours, his father. No, and on yours had two siblings that never that never came to find him or were never at the house when I went there. Yeah, so see, like, I understand one why. One of them I, was mentioned when Sudi went there. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually met one of your brothers. I can see why on yours left, though. Like, that's a, that's a totally understandable, like, family dynamic versus, like, oh, the, the family is really happy to see you and, like, they worry about your safety. And it's like, why would you ever leave this? I mean, and they almost seem to think Citra's back in Tefu. Oh yeah, like no, it's they, like oh, you're helping kind of your friends, and I think I don't think they know you're leaving. Probably no, well, not. You, well, she hasn't told them anything about the secret mission, yeah. right? Because you don't tell anybody yeah. of your loved ones about the secret mission because then they get kidnapped and used as leverage. But it does feel blah, like blah, blah, her parents yeah. like, oh, she's home now. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. They're like, hey, you want to come back to work with us in the temple? And you're just like, no. The uh, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So we we had that whole thing. You found out that your parents were working uh, at the great library. Yeah. Doing the restorations and all the rest of that stuff. <laughs> and another friend of ours is working yeah. at the temple. You then uh, you then popped into the the great library and everything and had a a meeting with a little reunion. A little reunion. Actually, I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna hold on for a second. Let me pull this out here. Putting up my uh, my book three. Looking back in time. To when we started book two. And I wrote this this little blue sticky note that I'm now holding up for the party (laughs) that reads, Kelru, after leaving Wati, has traveled to Tefu and joined the church here and is now working for Dekka on Herat. I've then got a little bit more at the bottom of that, and it's kind of secret, secret stuff, right yeah. now. But yeah, the moment we ended book one, I made a note to myself to slap into the appropriate chapter in book three to remind myself to have Kelru show up the first uh, time that you went to the uh, <laughs> library there. He's either going to help us out or he's going to be a big hindrance. Because I, I have been waiting yeah. to do this since episode, I think, 28 or 27. Yeah goodness to have him pop back up again 
So about a year. Rick, playing the long game for sure. Uh, I know it. He's either going to help us out because he realizes that the people here are weird and something's going on, or we're going to have to kick his ass again. Well, Depends on if he's been to Lake Loud Guy. He warned on Eurus <laughs> that bad stuff was coming. That was in the uh, the last episode, episode 75. Citra kind of interpreted from that. It might have been Kaoru just kind of given on Eurus a warning in the now we're even kind of way. I mean, Onyris has worked at the library before, so it's not like he's unknown to the priests of Nethas there. And they know he was in Wati, so... It's true. Sending Onyris back might not have been the best idea. He's very distinctive. Well, I mean, we all we all are distinctive. Says, That's the you know. Okay, you know. so on yours is distinctive next to the cat folk. The black I mean, cat I folk, which more, is unusual. Oh wait, I remember working with an Azamar a couple of years ago. <laughs> hey, on yours, nice headdress. And oh yeah, there's somebody who saved the city, and they had a black cat folk. Uh, they are the unlucky cat folk. I am hey, an unlucky cat folk. But then I got a handshake from Kelru, and I got a not one on my sense motive, and I want to know what I missed. <laughs> He gave you the the secret, the so, secret Nethian handshake. Let me let me share a, a really funny anecdotal story. I don't know if it's necessarily really funny, but long story short, I went to buy a car. I think I was sixteen at the time. It was the first car that I went to buy. My dad came with me. We're having a conversation with the dealer. We're midway through this conversation, We're doing the back and the forth because it's one of those dealers that you have to negotiate the price with. And then my dad's just kind of sitting there talking to him, and he looks down and sees you know, my dad's class ring. It's like, oh, they went to the same school together. And then it turns out they were both in the same fraternity. Yep. And they reached out and I, I to this day, do not, I did not see the handshake they did. Uh. But apparently they did the secret fraternity handshake and I got my truck for $2,000 cheaper. <laughs> yep. Because of the secret handshake. And that's kind of what Kelru just did with Dang me. It. Where it was, here's a secret Deathian handshake. I don't know it. But you didn't notice what he was even doing. I'm not on the level. <laughs> so he just kind of did the handshake. Was like, oh, you're not in the know. Yeah, I was, yeah, was going to say that is a uh, so that's a real that's a real thing right yeah. there. Cult. No, it, it was the weirdest thing because I was just like sitting there like, is, is my dad like in the Freemasons? <laughs> <laughs> Hollis He's knows Illuminati. the Arcane Caster version, yeah. and Kelru tried to do the Divine Hollis Caster. Knows the Sothis version, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but not. This weird tepu version. It's it's like the the Freemasons versus the Stonecutters. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. And then we learned a bunch of stuff we about do, Citra. We do, anyway. <laughs> yeah, we did get to learn some cool stuff about Citra and like get a, a share memory. Spell. Yeah, I that, spell. That, was cool. yeah, that was cool. I took that spell thinking about Citra's backstory because I was <laughs> like, that would be cool. So I took that spell. There's a handful of spells that I took that are all divination that I thought would be like cool ways for Rick to tell us stuff about the past. I like that you're using your arcane power to force the GM to tell us information. Yeah. Oh, to be Is perfectly honest, as a GM, I really appreciate that because that allows me to to paint a scene for the entire party and get that interaction without having it just be Oh, Citra, you're laying in bed, and then you dream about this incident thing. It's like, yeah. no, I can I can relay it not only to Jessica via Hollis's spell, but also to the audience via the lens of Hollis, mm-hmm. as well as allowing to to portray that scene almost without context, which makes it that much more interesting and a little bit creepier to me. And it's yeah. cool because it also like I got to make a knowledge check and like maybe give you a clue you didn't have before, and so like push that backstory forward a little bit. The fun element that you speak a language that child yeah. Citra didn't know. That was yep. cool. Yep. And in the funny way that magic memories work, you actually heard the full thing instead of just hearing it like garbled. Well, sure. So that was cool. 
Uh, I like to think that the spell probably enhances the memory a little bit. Oh, I definitely probably. think it does. Yeah, because magic. Yeah, Why I'm not? sure that there are some things that are taken out of context or just through the, the lens of her memory. Yeah, uh, but that was cool. Cause we get to see because that's like from a narrative standpoint, that's hard to like fit in sometimes. So yeah. I, I like that Jess took that spell so that we could have that interaction. And we and we did have a fan ask uh, if we ever learned my brother's name, and it was like, well, no, because it never came yeah, up. Yeah, we never. <laughs> said it's one of those. Every time Sister's talking about this, it's like a horrible memory for her. Yeah. So and she always just says my brother. And so on yours isn't gonna be like, hey, wait a second. I know you're reliving this horrible trauma, <laughs> but what's your brother's name? Name. Oh, and, and by the way, never... what was his age and what is his height and yeah. what did he like to do on the weekends? It's just, it's never his seen... name would have been fine. The rest of that maybe I don't know. Not. It's just never seemed appropriate. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's weird. Hollis doesn't super care about appropriateness, so she asked. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Same reason that she busted her way into Anyaris' room and made him play board games with her. I have a yeah. feeling that Hollis is going to be a very forceful personality in the party. Yeah, Anyaris is not going to appreciate that. Yeah. Ah, too bad. As supposed to finalize that when we left off the end of that episode, the party thanks to a combination of a good and successful role from Onuris and a critical success on <laughs> critical uh, in the research. library. It seems that Jessica's luck is turning around with this new character. I don't know. I rolled like three not ones. I was going to uh, say, her luck 20. is super chaotic. It's really low and really high. Yeah. But still, you had managed to finish researching through the public wing of the, the library in one day, learning that you will find nothing else of any use here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but getting a couple of leads, meaning that when we start back up, you'll all need to delve into the, the proper portion of the library, shelling out your 50 gold pieces. Do you have a question about the mechanics of this? Because I, I vaguely remember the research mechanics. And I remember it's like there's a certain number of quote unquote hit points and that's when yes. we're doing like damage to it. And that's what we use to learn different things. The, the very short version of it is that every library or place that you're researching has a complexity rating, which is the DC to learn anything about it. Mm. There are then certain knowledges that you can roll against that complexity rating. Uh, a little behind the scenes here for the portion of the sanctum that you're in is a DC 15. It grants you a plus two bonus on all knowledge checks, even the knowledge checks made to research there. You can only use certain skills to research, although your allies can aid another. And then everything has what's kind of referred to as a, uh, a knowledge point, which is basically like hit points. And then you do knowledge point damage by making your research. So that was like the D8 plus one. And then as you break certain tiers, so you guys broke the 15 and the 10 knowledge point tiers and garner information at each one of those points. And eventually, once you reduce it down to zero knowledge points, you've exhausted all the information in the library pertaining towards the subject that you're researching. So I, I really liked it because it, especially with the aid and other action, it allows even people that don't do the, don't do the thinking of the party, even your party's fighters and monks and rogues and so on and so forth to make these research things. Uh, and it also doesn't mean that there won't be a later point where it's a knowledge religion or something where Sudi can step into the fore. Yeah, I actually have knowledge uh, history, so I can actually roll oh, against yeah. this one. But uh, uh, the one thing I really like about this research mechanic is that you actually do get things at different tiers. So it's not like you have to wait all until you get it all the way to zero to get like yeah. all the information. You kind of piecemeal it out. And so I really like that because like you get a little bit here and a little bit there because like yeah. there's been other adventure paths where we, it's come up that we've used the research mechanic. Yeah, because the, the top one, it. the one that basically on Eurus broke through was the huh, people have been removing books from this area pertaining towards things that we're looking into. 
And then the next step down was Hollis going, okay, well, I found some stuff on family genealogies and things like that pertaining towards the old pharaohs, but I found nothing on this. But I see references to this other part of the library. Oh, that's what it is. What? I just had an epiphany. Sorry. Oh, really? Do share with the class. Uh, when Onyris was at the library before, when he wasn't working, he was researching his genealogy. And that's what Kelru's thing is probably about. Oh, don't go research your genealogy. Well, that's what the books are the missing, because we're talking about Dejerida and all about of them. The and those Jared books about yeah. all of that stuff are missing. Oh. Who knows? So. Unless that, they're in the upper stacks. Yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely possible that Kelru could have, like, done enough research to kind of figure out. It's like, oh, it's the, Dejer- you know, Dejerida the second, Dejerida the third. Kind of and even line. though he doesn't realize that Onuris is researching it before because of his genealogy, he knows we would be looking about it because that's the time of period of the mask. And so he may have yeah. cued off the Nethians to mm. hide it all. Ooh. Well, yeah. interesting. Or he's noticed some other Nethian is hiding it all and knows, oh, well, so, you guys are here now. so Yeah, so he's given us the message and on the sly. It's not like Onuris could have been secretive about his research here the first time around. They would have known would have that known he was researching to, to those, be, yeah. those pharaohs. Yeah, interesting. So that may be what the warnings are. I like this theory a lot not gonna lie yeah makes a lot of sense and since Kelru saw the tablet from before he knows that the uh, yeah he knows the time period that the, the yeah seven and all of that wrote that be. tablet yep hmm. so when we're going to pick back up it's going to be all of you returning back to the library to determine what else that you can find can we get a discount like a week discount can we get like a nope. student discount Nope. Can we take a class at the local college? <laughs> you could potentially try to make an card? arrangement if you went and spoke with the head of the Church of Nethus. No, thank you. No, I don't talk. think she's going to go. I don't want to do that. I mean, I could go talk to her, but I don't know if it'd be. I, I don't think know if we were work. pretty much. I don't know. Septi kind of gave us a pretty strong message of don't even try it. Yeah, and with Neff's whole thing about, oh, well, the other two temples are mad at her. And yeah, it seems like there's a lot of. Mama Nafra isn't happy with her either. So it seems like. I don't. I don't want to get in the middle yeah. of like a religious war. We're getting in the middle of that. You know that, right? I, I don't want to. <laughs> no like Sudi doesn't that. really want to get involved in that because it's we're like put it all, off. I was like, let's kick that can down the road until we leave the city. <laughs> Pick a side. Yep. And then we went and had dinner with Citra's parents. Yep. Yeah. And then I gave your parents an egg because Hollis has no money, but she does have one egg. Now she has zero eggs. <laughs> are you keeping it like if it's if we're like we have ten days of downtime? Are you marking ten eggs? Not really. I mean, it's like because those eggs will go bad. I just assume, like, Hollis also is a really good cook. She just hasn't. You just scramble an egg every morning? I could if I had the supplies. If I had a pan and I had a fire to cook on, and but we're in a hotel, so. Yeah, does your tiny hut happen to come with a, uh oven? No, it's really just like a shelter. It's, uh, not, okay. it's not the next it's like step up is fancy, yeah. Okay. Uh, when I get high enough level, I'll get the next step up. Whatever yeah. that Secure is. shelter. Yeah. Uh, so that's the episodes. Yeah, those are the episodes. So I guess yeah. we'll talk about uh, emails. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Emails right. from our wonderful listeners out there. We have three of them. First one is from Stephen from Virginia. Hey, Stephen. Virginia uh, countryside. They don't put lights up. <laughs> lots of trees. <laughs> Keep Virginia Naturals a thing. This is the only things I know about Virginia. Keonan. I understand it's just a beautiful. Uh, yes, yeah, Keonan, okay. Keonan uh, works. Like Keonan. Let's do Keonan. Mm. All right, Keonan. What is that? Uh, golden Leaf. All right. Golden Leaf's good. All right. Golden Leaf. All right. Lots of, lots of half elves in Golden Leaf. Fair enough. There's a, a lot of elves, too, because it's in Keonan. Like, well, yeah, but it, that's the part of Keonan that other people can go to. Oh, like, okay. The elves okay. are very insular about the rest of the nation of Keonan. Okay. Not Goldleaf. It's a very open and accepting place like the beautiful state of Virginia. All right. 
I just wanted to write and tell you I really enjoy your podcast. Yay! You all do Yay. a great job. And Thank Mummy's you. Mask is a really fun adventure path. Yes. I've been thinking so. Mm-hmm. The only problem was eventually catching up and having to wait a week for the next episode, <laughs> of course. Oh, uh, sorry. Everybody says that. All right. I noticed that all of the characters were natives of Osirian and had a level of respect for the culture and burial customs. It would be quite a different adventure if the PCs were foreigners and treasure hunters. <laughs> yes, it would. That's funny now. It's uh, funny now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did any of you consider playing characters from outside of Osirian before settling on your current character? Let's, I, let's I, do a round table. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is Hollis I yeah. Actually, no, I was definitely going to play somebody from Osirian, but then uh, when I decided to like have Segura leave and then bring in a new character, I ended up in this weird place and picked Hollis because it's fun and being from the Mana Waste was kind of a joke I had made, like with a like a half-orc Jezebel gunslinger. gunslinger. Yep. So Hollis has this gun, which is tied into her backstory, and she's... She's an elf and she's from this weird place and she's been a lot of places. And so it's kind of fun to not be from the setting exactly because Hollis doesn't have the same hangups. Hollis does not have hangups about pharaohs because she remembers before there were pharaohs, like back when the Kelishite rule was in place. She can make some jokes that only Falto gets, like the ones about Aridin, which is kind of fun. And she's just like lived such a long time that a lot of the things that Sagira cared about a whole lot, Hollis is like, eh. Humans are only around for like, I don't know, a couple decades. <laughs> and so like, they're nice people, but like ultimately that's kind of petty. For me, the, since my character kind of started with the idea of going into Living Monolith, the Prestige class, it didn't really make sense to not be from Osirian because like that gives you a really strong tie specifically to Osirian. So I really didn't ever consider doing any of the outside characters because that would have been that would have made no sense if it's like, oh yeah, by the way, I've hit sixth level and I'm taking Living Monolith and I'm, I'm a, a great complete... axe wielding orphan warrior. Yeah, exactly. Monolith. I'm like I'm like the <laughs> furthest thing from the traditional like Living Monolith that it could be. So yeah, I know I never considered being anybody but somebody from Osirian. Well, I think it's pretty obvious that I have a love affair with the 90s. <laughs> and so I loved the movie The Mummy. And originally, uh-huh. my character was supposed to be based off of Evie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that always kind of bothered me about those films was the fact that um, she talks about her mom being uh, Egyptian. And I'm like, oh, honey, you don't look Egyptian at all. Yep. That's and the so, casting. I know, yep. that's the casting. And so I wanted to make sure that my character was actually from the place that it would make sense. If we're going to do an Egyptian-themed campaign, the character needed to be Egyptian in my brain. That was just my thought process. Other than uh, (laughs) Odin Ferris' character, you know, none of the primary protagonists of the mummy were actually from Egypt. It was just an American guy and two Brits saving the day against uh, Imhotep. Yep, pretty (laughs) much. Uh, when we first started talking about Mummy's Mask, before we were even talking about the podcast, we were just talking about Mummy's Mask. My initial character was a Samsarian who had always come back to Egypt. But then once we actually started out on making the character, I was like, that doesn't fit. It's not going to work. So for like maybe five minutes, but never really anything serious. Because like yeah. Samsarans are more like Vudrin. Is that how that? No, they're actually from Tien. Oh, they're more Tien. Mm-hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. they're yeah. more Buddhist. And they, and they get... They, they die and they come back like they they just kind of pop back up as like 10 or 11 year old kids 
and grow up from there and then when they die it happens again Sounds it's awesome. super cute yeah. like oh my god it's like a mortal rain when that kid popped out so, when he was a kid yeah, yeah. So there's, uh, and as, as far as the, the cultural aspect of this is concerned, there's a part from the very beginning that we wanted to be as true to the ancient Egyptian culture as we possibly could and, and approach this with as much respect as all of us can, having sadly none of us ever gone to Egypt. I'd like to. But we still have a great deal of respect and just in love for the culture. So, yeah, I, I think that we set out with the idea of trying to do as, as much justice to it as we could. Uh, he continues by saying that his Pathfinder group is playing through Rise of the Rune Lords. They oh, just started book four. Nice. Uh, nice. Book four. Oh. Uh, and oh, it's book awesome. four. Yeah. I have to say that that Skin Saw Murders is definitely my favorite book so far. Yep. Yep. Uh, though I haven't played a lot of Pathfinder. They're also playing uh, Dead Sons and a Pathfinder homebrew. Oh, I do uh-huh. like Dead Sons. Nice. I've heard good things. Yeah. I can't wait for the next episode and for whatever lies ahead in book three. Keep an eye out for more cultists. Oh, sorry, Sudi. <laughs> Even the uh, fans the, are doing it. Yeah. Oh. The listeners are getting in on it now. <laughs> it's so mean. It's Y'all wonderful. So mean. Oh, right. oh, yeah, I like that it's all so wonderful when you're not the one being teased. Yep. Yeah. How does yeah. it feel? Yeah. How does it feel? I was about to say, uh, Custard Horse, y'all say that. Like, I do all the teasing, so it's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not all, but a lot of. All right, email two from um, I'm gonna butcher. I'm sorry. From Notker, uh, from Lake Constance, Germany. Oh, hey. He said Lake. He's from Lake and Carton. Lake and Carthen. So German. The usual German equivalent I I hear is Berfoy, which is on the lake of is it like Mist and Steam? I can't remember the name Ooh, of that. Ooh, that's fancy. Yeah, it's a, it's what north of uh, um, the Lake of Mist of Vels, not the Lake of Mist of Steam. It's kind of the not to make a jab or anything at Paizo for this. Okay, so we have a partnership now. It's kind of an equivalent to Game of Thrones. Yeah. The Berfoy is like the whole Game of Thrones region of the world, where it's like that's a bunch of warring houses against each other all the time. And That's nobles terrible. fighting each what other. What do we say to death? Not, yeah, today. not today. Maybe the north. Not. The north remembers. Uh, so I don't know, maybe uh, maybe up in Brevoy. Maybe uh, it's a city name. Yeah, find us a city in Brevoy. Eagles Watch. That's that sounds like I a like pretty the name awesome of that place. place. It's like a it's a small town built on top of a mountain. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, I like that. Cool. Beautiful Watch. scenic views, like uh, like you have, of course, have in Germany. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, find the path crew. I have been listening for the last two months to catch up, and now I have to wait like everyone else. Aww, so thank you sorry. for the around 94 hours of entertainment. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. We're really up to that high. Wow. We're getting wow. Jeez. way up there. I especially appreciate the after parties. I haven't found anyone else who does this, and I think it's a shame because it gives a great insight on how a lot of things work and a good unforced way to talk to your fans out there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think it's good, too. So, we don't ever feel forced to talk to you guys just to put nah, that out there. True. We like talking. We, like um, we do. So the question I have for you is, have you played Pathfinder Kingmaker, and what do you think about forcing a role-playing game into a PC game? I have. I don't know if anyone I else have yours. also played I have not, because I keep holding out hope that we're going to play Kingmaker, <laughs> and I don't want it I, 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 I will say I have not gotten far enough to have any spoilers. It's not my style of game. But I really like the Baldur's Gate RPGs, which are kind of, you know, the same thing, the tabletop and and Neverwinter Nights was the same way. I really enjoyed those. My thoughts on Pathfinder Kingmaker is there's a there's a give and take to it. I think for people that would not otherwise have the opportunity to play Kingmaker and Kingmaker is still, I believe, the hands down most difficult adventure path. Putting it into second edition. They are. They're making a second edition version of it. It was Kickstarter. So Uh that's going to be intriguing. I'm ready for that. It was the breakout adventure path of the early adventure path series. It was the second adventure path in the actual Pathfinder game line. 
I think it translates well into, you know, a CRPG format. As wonderful as CRPGs are, you do lose that level of freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you only have so many dialogue that, that choices. Was, yeah, I that mean, was exactly yeah. what I was going to say. I mean, it's the same thing with like books to movies is something's always lost in the yeah. translation. And like that's the biggest thing that I love about Pathfinder as a tabletop game is there are no limits on like dialogue choices and what, you know, changes can be done. But yeah, computer systems are limited. I think the Kingmaker specifically, the a lot of the the higher tiered like hex stuff that they that you end up doing, that stuff easily easily translates, but the the dialogue and the role play side is always the hardest thing that you're gonna have to translate into you yeah. know, any kind of computer game. Well, well I would well, also say that also depending on what kind of game you like to play, which I do not like to play crunchy games as I, I like story driven video games, but the, just the complexity of the rules in Pathfinder then translated into a video game, it's hard to hide mechanics well enough for it to not feel mechanical. For people that don't play tabletop games, there is a point in Pathfinder Kingmaker that nearly broke the game for a lot of people. Oh, wow. And that's because it's the first time that you run into swarms. Oh, swarms. Are- ah, and this is at, this is at first level. Yeah. And so, Run away. you know, you were given a whole bunch of alchemist fires, but unless you approach it from the standpoint of, you know, I know about game stuff, you don't know that you can throw alchemist fires. You don't know that you could equip torches to do, because it takes in all the mechanics for the game where you can use torches mm-hmm. to kill the swarms yep. and everything. Yep. But if you're a just an RPG video game player, you don't walk in with that knowledge of that's how you deal with swarms. So, I mean, that's a problem. And again, the kind of going back to the lack of options and everything else is the, the first time I played it, I played it as a uh, cleric of uh, Arastal. And I was really enjoying it. And then I ran into another priest of Arastal. And then I had an entire dialogue line where I could ask him about things about Arastal, but had no dialogue option to say, oh, I'm also a priest of Arastal. Yeah, uh, that's for sure. And, you know, you kind of run into that element. So uh, I- that being said, it is an extraordinarily faithful adaptation. And I think Alcat took the right direction by approaching Paizo and having Jason Bowman and James Jacobs help them with dialogue stuff and really delve into the lore of the world way more than I think any other CRPG delving into a setting has done since Baldur's Gate. The game may not be for us because we've ever played the game, but like if you have never played Pathfinder, it is a really good introduction to the world and to the lore, Galarian, and and what, 10 years of (laughs) publications that have come out about it. Here's a fun rapid fire thing. Let's keep this down to a couple of seconds. We'll start with Jessica. Adventure path that you would most like to play as a video game and what kind of video game? Uh, none. Oh, okay. None? Because I don't think there is no way that me playing a video game by myself is the same as me playing across the table from Rachel and making weird inside jokes the whole time. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. Rapid fire for me, I would say Iron Gods. Iron Gods? Yep. As what type of game? CRPG, uh, first person shooter? I don't know about first person shooter, but I could see it as like a, a KOTOR kind of game. Okay. So, like a KOTOR RPG. So, yeah, third person. Yeah. All right. I'm still kind of with the nun, but if I had to, it'd have to be like the old Diablo 2 style where you could like create a game with just you and your four people. Mm-hmm. But so like a hack and slash? What, what adventure path though? I don't know. My first brain went to Ruins of Aslan just because I like exploratory stuff. That could be really interesting. I could also see it being uh, Wrath of Righteous. Because if you're looking yeah. for like a more hack and slashy kind of but thing, I'm not the thinking hack and slash. I'm just, just thinking I could get like my. People. I just want to be able to play with my four people. Uh, okay. Kind of loot grind your way through Ruins of Aslan. Sure. Okay. That's Heather? like Tomb Raider style. Yeah, kind of. I do. Uh, 
a Hell's Vengeance so you could actually play freaking an evil character in a CERPG and have fun with it instead of being punished by the freaking morale system. You know how much of a pain in the ass it is to be an evil party in Baldur's Gate? <laughs> where you where you do the evil dialogue options, and then you gotta run to the temple to donate money to get your reputation out of the negatives. I it's really stupid. Don't I tend to play good? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, there are there are entire games where the entire point is that you're a monster fighting your own energy. Some games. of the most interesting characters in Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate Two are the evil characters. They have much more interesting backstories yeah. and storylines than the good mm. characters. Was, uh, sure. Pillars, Pillars of Eternity lets yeah. you take uh, an evil route to it. I like to play the it's evil like characters and stuff in games because I'm a I'm a good person in real life, and it's yeah. fun to just be a uh. total. Yeah, because we played Divinity 2, and it, it has an evil character that's like the skeleton guy. He's fun. I made him be good, though. great. Yeah, so there's the, you're right. There are a lot of times more I don't know. My favorite, my favorite quest lines in Skyrim and Elder Scrolls are the Dark Brotherhood quests. So, Those you know. are fun quests. I did play them. I, uh, I just can't do the evil stuff in games. The world is too messed up right now, and it just hurts my soul. Yeah, yeah fair I have to do the good. Go way off on the <laughs> rapid fire. Anyway, uh, my, my rapid fire response is going to be Carrying Crown. As a uh, front software Dark Souls type oh, of game. I'm out. Just slaughtering I'm your out. way through everything. Jeez. But all the story of that gets lost in the, oh, I guess I died 17 times in a row. I've forgotten what exactly it is I'm doing. <laughs> you could also do some really interesting but amazing stuff. cutscenes. Dark Souls, Strange Aeons. Yeah. Second idea would be a, a Bioshock style version of Strange Aeons where every time you die it's like Bioshock Infinite where you wake up in the room and you step back out through a door oh. <laughs> you just keep waking back up from this you know dream what? over oh, and over what is again that? Yeah. What is that game with the android Detroit Become Human could work as any game as oh, any like game Aquatic Dreams kind of oh, thing oh Aquatic because Dreams it's yeah. all branching and it's all like yeah that you do, like in any of your like even if all your characters die you still get an ending yeah. The the one thing I would dislike about that is that their action sequences are quick time events, and oh, that hurts my those. soul. I, I'm offended at those on a personal level. Yeah, yeah that's just a gaming time. type. But that is, I anyway. mean, it's it's you know that's the best way to get through the action. So I get it, but well, I just don't like it. All right, All right. that's a little rest Thank rapid you. fire that I wanted. Knocker, we're not very good at rapid fire. <laughs> we're not. All right, you should know that about us. Last email. Hello there, doorkeepers and Rick. Hi. I'm Michael from North Carolina. Hey, Michael. North Carolina. North Carolina. It's near um, Virginia. <laughs> What's near Keonan? On the coast? What's near Keonan? What's on the other Rasmaran. Anyway. Oh! That's mean. I mean, we did put somebody, somebody no, put themselves in gallows fire. You so. don't want to be from Throne Step. It's not um, great. I mean, that's there's a coast. Like, North Carolina has a coast. Yeah, what are some beachy places? Yeah. Sandpoint? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sandpoint. Sandpoint, we're done. He's from Sandpoint. All right, Sandpoint oh. it is. All right. Sucks to be you. Hey! Uh, I like cool Sandpoint. Sand Everything Sand bad happens in Sandpoint. <laughs> James First. Jacobs loves Sandpoint. Yeah, there's a whole <laughs> book about Sandpoint. There's not many cities that, that yes, have a whole book about Yes, but that will start his adventuring career. I know, but if you're just a guy yep. trying to live a life, probably not great. Well, the moral is why it adventure. starts his adventuring career. Yeah, Michael's <laughs> going to start with punching goblins and end with punching godlike wizards. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good luck, Michael. <laughs> All right, I've been following the podcast for a while now and have absolutely have been absolutely loving it. Awesome. Out of everything that makes you guys you, the first thing to stand out to me is your rules knowledge. Thank you. Thank you. It really is great and speeds everything up. But despite that, your characters don't seem to be very optimized. 
I'm perfectly fine with that. They are characters, not character sheets. But I was wondering if that was a decision that you guys made or not. Uh, I, I will jump in here because I'm the most notorious. I mean, are you talking about like power gaming? I think Is so. that what he well, means? So, so I do intentionally not build optimized characters because for me, I start from the perspective of who is the character and then figure out their stats. So Jordan's intentionally unoptimized. I start from a concept and I make the character based on that concept. On yours, I think has good stats and the feats I've picked are, I think work very well. But no, I don't go to the message board and go, okay, what's the best way to play a cleric? Because I think all of that is objective anyway. There is also some concessions that like we make because like, it would be really, really weird for Sudi to be like, you know what I need? I need braces of armor plus two. He gets them because mechanically I need it for the game, but like the there's no story justification for why he gets that instead of spending the money on the temple with, you know, Idris and buying Idris a house or whatever. Like there is some conceit done to the fact that yes, he does need to survive this adventure path. And Sudi is a prime example of this, that you play things reactionary to what's happening in the campaign. You decided to take a key power that makes it harder for you to drown because you nearly drowned. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was like. <laughs> I, I, yeah, well, one, that's also my paranoia as a player because the things I fear are drowning and falling off of high places, which surprisingly, I have not died from either. I'm just paranoid. Um, Other people have. I'm kind of probably more in the Jordan boat where I'm reactionary. And I also think a lot about my backstory first before I ever even start looking at the mechanics. And I have this <clears throat> somewhat horrible habit of going. Hey, Rick, <laughs> I want to do this. How do I make that happen? And so usually I get a lot of suggestions from you and then I kind of tweak it based on what I think the character would go for. And and again, usually like I'll try to plan out feats and I find that it never works because I'm always just like, and now my character wouldn't do that because of this, this and this. Yeah. Yeah. So. So it, it seems the general consensus is that no one sets out to optimize, but we also don't, no one seems to set out with an intention to make a character that is sub-optimal. Why would you yeah. ever do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, some people want to play a character that just has 10 in all of their stats and is an everyman person and just see if they can survive. Yeah, uh, I will say uh, <laughs> this is completely anecdotal because it it's actually has nothing to do with necessarily like Rick's play style or anything. Rick knows the rules well enough that he can build a lore-driven character that still wrecks on the regular. So I, I, that, I think that's just the encyclopedic knowledge of hey, the rules Hey, we all can build characters that wreck. Like, Sagira wrecked face. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I've, uh, I've never seen an alchemist be able to do so much good in the world. <laughs> like, so Rick, Rick is a very knowledgeable player. <laughs> I, I just like to plan out my feats because a lot of them you need this feat to get this feat and if I'm not thinking about that four levels ago you, yeah you pick out a feat yeah, tree true. And yeah I've, I've gone the feat tree route but like kind of loosely to where it's like maybe I'll go down you know the dodge mobility spring attack I, I do have to make a shout out to second edition in that respect where they've delegated the feats to different categories so that was the whole reason that they made the skill feats is yeah. so that you wouldn't while it's beneficial for a character to take skill focus, no one ever takes it because it's like, well, I need power attack and I need vital strike and I need furious focus and I need all the re rest of these. I can't spare a feat to take skill focus, despite the fact that skill focus is mechanically a huge boost mm -hmm. to your skill checks. 
So them delineating feats into various categories so that you basically have these skill feats where it goes, you have to take these now. Don't feel guilty about making a character that's good at things other than just combat. Yeah, that was that, you can tell that's an intriguing question because we're debating it back and forth really quick. That's true. Um, also, I just want to say thank you for sharing your game with the world. It is truly a treat. Thank you. Thank you. We are happy that uh, there are so many people out there eager to share in our adventure. Mm-hmm. And those are the emails. Exciting. Dear Tiff, yep. I guess we're going to cast a god. Yeah. Go ahead and bounce me a d6. Six. All right. This one might be a little challenging. Oh, boy. Today, we will be casting Gozra, nice. the wind oh, I know this. and the waves, the god of nature, the sea, and weather. Gozra is timeless, born when the first breeze caressed the ocean. She is ever-changing, tempestuous, and unpredictable, yet also prone to periods of constancy, stillness, and routine. He is the storm cloud chased by clear skies, the spring warmth that follows winter, the fair winds that carry seagoing ships. She is the great wave that capsizes those ships, the gentle current that deposits sailors on safe shores, and the rising and falling tides. Those who ply the waters rely upon the rains, know this better than most, and are most sure to placate Gozra and honor him when the wind and waves are favorable. Gozra has two aspects equally depicted in art and scripture. When at sea and over water, Gozra is a woman with wild flowing green hair whose body transforms into endless waves. In the sky and over land, Gozra appears as an aged man with a long white beard emerging from a mighty storm cloud. Gozra is moody and brooding, able to spend weeks in a glowering quiet only to explode in a fury of water, wind, and lightning. He is an elemental force not fettered by the work of mortals. He may turn aside his wrath when appeased with gifts and flattering words or may ignore mortal cries entirely. Many cargo ships thrown a crater to overboard into the deep ocean to satisfy her so that she does not take more than by force. He is the amoral side of nature, that which brings life and takes it unexpectedly. Gozra represents both female and male facets of life, unconstrained by civilization's notions of masculinity and femininity. Grandmother, grandfather, brother, sister, and eternal and ever-changing, the wind and the waves echo and shape the countless living things on Galarian. So are we picking two people? I want to choose one. one. I'm picking one person. I'm choosing one and then using special effects. Yes, 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 yes. And for once, I actually have a decent person. I have a weird one. Oh, yeah. But I've had it since we started casting Yeah, I, I have two. Um, okay, so for me, Gozra, I'm going to go with atypical voice actor Vin Diesel. Uh, because that man made me feel things with Iron Giant and he's done Groot with such dedication that like you can actually tell that there's different things that are being said when he says, I am Groot a thousand times in all the different movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I say you take him. He already does like the gravelly, like, you know, male version pretty well. But then for the female version, you could like pitch his voice. Like baby it. Groot? <laughs> like baby Groot. <laughs> oh my God. I am Groot. Weird. That's that's an interesting choice. That's that's my interesting choice. I said it was atypical. So there you go. That's I think uh, Rachel and Heather is still working. So I don't know. If... I mean... It's because it's two people. I've known who I wanted for Gozer for a while, and I think Jessica is on the same wavelength as me. Are you going to steal mine? Jason Momoa? No. Oh, okay. No, no, no. So Jason Momoa would be who I would pick for the him. male version. And I Jason Momoa. had a thought for the Full female Aquaman. one, but then I settled on Zoe Saldana because okay. I find her just to be a total awesome chick. Um, And just, I can just imagine her like commanding the oceans and being like, rah. Yeah. 
Okay. Plus, I think she could pull off. She could pull off green skin. I'm sure she can pull off green hair. Well, yeah, it's true. Oh, I think her, what's her hair green? Isn't Gamora's hair green? Gamora's like hair is black purple. and red. Yeah, uh, or pinky color. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason I thought it was green. Mm-mm. Heather. Anthony Hopkins and Tilda Swinton. Anthony Hopkins. Mm. Tilda could do both. Maybe. Not my choice also. Still, that's <laughs> fun because Anthony, fun. well, Anthony Hopkins is always fun. I was yeah. going to say. Anthony you... Hopkins has that like strong male presence and yeah. I like Tilda's like androgyny for like the female side too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. But... I was going to say you, you did pick like two people that I've enjoyed in pretty much everything I've seen them in. Mm-hmm. So that's always a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go with my favorite actress, actor duo and go, uh. Tessa Thompson and Chris. <laughs> when you said current favorite duo, I was like, that's exactly what he's going to say. They work together so amazingly <laughs> that I can just kind of imagine them. You get Chris Hemsworth putting on like the big beard flowing down around him and just the cranky old gozer floating around in the sky. And then, you know, Tessa Thompson is this you know, tempestuous, just raw energy that she brings to everything. Yeah. I just, and I just love the chemistry between them. Yeah, and it's, and it's good. good. Like in Hollywood, you always use chemistry and it's always in that like romantic sense or whatever it is but they have the best like buddy buddy chemistry they did a really good job with with MIB International I I didn't get to see it I did not expect much from that movie not gonna lie the plot was okay but their acting saved yeah I was gonna say the plot was whatever but like their acting and their like like you said like their chemistry on set like that is the thing that I was like, okay, yeah, this movie's all right. And so I, I would love to see that brought to the bickering two halves of Gozra as they're like yelling at each <laughs> I other. I like mine a lot, but I also like that one. <laughs> that was a, that's a pretty good one. All right. I thought that I was going to have the weirdest one, but I think Vin Diesel's the weirdest one. Yeah, I always probably. get the weird ones, man. You, um, you know me. I'm going to go with Ezra Miller. Ooh. Oh. Okay. I love that. So there was this story. So I read this interview somebody did with him. So here's why. First of all, he can pull off either direction. But uh, second of all, there was this interview once that was on his farm. I guess he has a farm where he has goats and stuff. And he's in the middle of this interview and he tells the person, oh, well, you know, she's about to have babies, like baby goats. I've got to go help her birth. I'll see you in a minute, like wanders and like gives, helps this goat give birth in the farm and then like talks about Hollywood with this weird person. Like he's just super natural and really into like nature and like the cycle of life and like raising animals and like also is such a like floaty personality, you know, like a floaty person. Like he has a very on another well, wavelength. Not super <laughs> like grounded in reality. Yeah. He also has a, cool a somewhat way. androgynous appearance as well. Mm-hmm. So. But I was like, Hair. yes. Gozra. Yes. Okay. We're going to have to leave that up to a vote because I, I can't decide. I'm voting for mine. Well, I mean, I think we're all going to be voting <laughs> for ours. and Chris. Everyone votes for themselves. Tag team duo. What is, what is, oh, I guess they don't need a ship name because they're friendship. What, their friendship. Yeah, what is their friendship? Jordan, what's the only kind of ship that never sinks? The friendship. The friendship. Anyway. <laughs> friendship is magic. <laughs> magic is heresy. Yeah. So let us know what you think on our uh, our wonderful subreddit. As yep. always, we uh, we love our subreddit. We love going on there, checking. We love hearing back from everyone there. Uh, we like finding out that I've lost yeah. once again. <laughs> Shout out and thank you, as always, to uh, Jay and Sarah, who take care of everything on yeah, that side. Yeah, uh, the mods do a wonderful job. So, yeah, go and give them some love, too. Yep. Um, And I think that's it for us. Uh, So good luck out there, Path Folk. Until next time, good luck, Pathfinders. They're the Path Folk.
Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Paths are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.